who is this Hari Om person? And like, why are they messing with everything around the ashram? <laughs> and why don't they just talk to Hari Om instead of putting <laughs> signs for them everywhere? I don't think that there's anything more powerful than a human being who genuinely feels that they have nothing to lose. We use that same kind of like mentality of supremacy of thinking of ourselves over the land and over the environment as well. You can see a dead tree as like a ninth story apartment building full of birds and bees. You know, coming from an inner faith, uh, here's our kitty cat. If the gods would could cut out their eyes with the weapons held in their hands, would you still act out of love if the watch were viewed by the blind? Like, it's like so metal. Hello, everyone. Welcome. So happy to be joined today by Lainey Sullivan and Jamison Price, who are the founding members of Holy River. And Holy River is a musical phenomenon that has become known as Earth Folk. It's a type of music, music inspired thematically by the natural environment. From harmonium engulfed melodies to mouth harp stomp grass, Holy River taps into an embodied and innate celebration of internal and external worlds attempting to bring them closer together with each beat. The music of Holy River carries the message of humanity's need for a reconnection with itself and the earth. So thank you both so much for taking the time to be here. I wanna start by asking you about kind of that last line a little bit, humanity's need for reconnection with itself and, and the earth. Like why, why is that so important to you? I mean, I think they're intertwined. They're one and the same, right? And so I think we do have this phenomenon of thinking of ourselves separate uh, of nature oftentimes because we've created so many uh, systems where, where we have the ability to, to isolate ourselves from um, the, the, the environments and the ecosystems that are, are really prevalent in, uh, in otherwise stepping outside of those things. And so when we say reconnection with ourselves or with the natural world, I think it's like, really just witnessing ourselves uh, in place of the natural world and as a part of it as interconnected and drawing lessons um, from the natural world to be able to uh, reflect back on how we can be better um, versions of ourselves to ourselves and to the world around us. And I think a lot of our current culture's uh, spiritual illness is tied to the way that we live every day. Um, the way that we consume food, the, the types of dwellings that we live in, the types of spaces where we work, like, for example, um, working in a place with no windows where you're like sitting most of the day and under like fluorescent lighting, like that's just, there's, it's, I feel as though, um, that, that does something to our bodies. Like when we, when we eat food that, wasn't grown in a, a way that that's respectful to the earth and it is full of pesticides and herbicides and and by it growing is making the, the soil less healthy than more healthy it the soil is um and we're interconnected with that soil and so we're not getting those minerals i mean like it, it's all connected but there's but the relearning of how to be connected with nature like that process for us has been so transformative and um, and healing and beautiful um, that 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 showed itself that that's our path and that that is how we want to live and through you know like I grew up 
on the ninth floor of a apartment building in Arlington, in Virginia, like in the suburbs of DC. So like this process of grounding myself after being raised in, surrounded by concrete, um, that's, that's just my work that I have to do. And then by being artists, we, we invite other people to, to go on that journey with us if they want to observe. Do you ever wonder like how the current situation ever came to be to begin with, like this discon feeling disconnected to nature? Because it seems almost I think about obvious, it all the time. <laughs> right? Like, how did how did that happen? Because it's like, why would we ever think that we're apart from this thing that we're totally dependent on? Right. It's like the 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 unity is is so evident, but somehow we've moved away from that frame of mind, I guess. I think there are, there are multiple factors. I think one of them is, is the trauma of generations of humans just fighting to exist because it is hard to exist. I mean, you have to find water, you have to find food, shelter, like it is not easy just to exist. And so our ancestors were constantly trying to um, like, manage manage the earth or so that it could be a more gentle environment where they could live more easily but then i think we got we got to a place where we were like managing just fine and then we still continued to um act out of that trauma response as though there's scarcity when nature is actually full of abundance and through that scarcity matched with capitalism matched with colonization and the exploitation of resources and um, patriarchal, you know, philosophies dominating society that all of those things got us in this extreme imbalance. And so now I feel like a lot of our work is to undo those things and to try to find the symbiosis where we can exist and nature can exist because we are so far on the other spectrum that we're making it so that we're not going to be able to exist anymore because we're over managing. Hmm. And to tie in a little bit with Lainey said, right? It's like, for those of us who have a relationship with uh, the world around us and the natural world, it's like, oh, why did this disconnect happen? It seems so obvious. But uh, in the same examples that Lainey brought up, uh, we do it all the time, even with each other as interpersonally with people, right? We have these pillars of supremacy, whether it be like racial supremacy or, or sexism or things like that in that nature. And we use that same kind of like mentality of supremacy of thinking of ourselves over the land and over the environment as well. Um, even though it takes like um, way more effort for us to try to uphold these archaic institutions than it does to understand and release them and know that the symbiosis and our like access to having regenerative relationship is, is actually a lot more easy and will lead to much further long-term success than this like constant drive and desire to, to dominate and to control. And exploit. Right. Is it almost like there's an addiction that formed to this psychology of both survival mentality and also competitive mentality? Like I got so uh, into who is better and, you know, where does the might land, right? Human beings, I don't have to respect trees because we're clearly like, you know, uh, above them we can do all these things that trees cannot so is is that it a little bit that we just kind of got totally hooked into these ways of 
survival and competition. And that's like, if I can be aware of it, maybe that helps to release it um, the way that Jameson was pointing to. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know when it started or or how it started. I mean, it could go really far back, but I I do think the the mentalities of exponential growth and capitalism are really are I think really tied into it in a lot of ways. This this idea that we have the ability to just grow and to produce, and that there there's no boundaries, and it's and it can be exponential when we already live in an environment that has finite resources and finite limitations, and um, so maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a disconnect of our um, understanding of, of that relationship. I think for us, a lot of it is, is really about relationship, right? Relationship, right? Our, you know, how are we living in terms of right relationship with the earth and with each other? And, and I think it's a lot of folks aren't um, necessarily taught how to, how to have that kind of relationship. Instead, we're taught how to have, uh, to dream of exponential growth, right? Rather than to dream of, um, what are our limits and what, where, where can we stop growing and where does the growth then need to spill into um, being, uh, being available for everyone? Well, and yeah, the culture of individualism, like the competition lends itself to the individualistic mindset that like it, you're more important than other people. Um, you're like, your well-being is the most important thing when like we, the fundamental thing, the fundamental principle of that we are intrinsically connected with every single thing that we interact with. Um, and that if you're just being like a succubus of, of this earth, then what's the, what's the point? Um, but I mean, it, human consciousness and how it interacts with these, like the, the fact that we can philosophize about these things and that we can get it so attached to ego. Um, It's a mysterious, wonderful topic that, you know, philosophers have been talking about for forever, but it's definitely, yeah, the the ego is, is in there. I did want to point out too, though, I think there's a lot of ways to live in right relationship, right? When Lainey mentioned that she grew up in a, a condo on the ninth floor in Arlington, I think that there's an opportunity for people to live on multiple floors and in dense populated places and still have connection and still see a place. So it's like, it doesn't require us all to necessarily have to break, um, you know, every living situation or every habit that we're doing. It's it's kind of like a you make a fundamental mental shift and then your actions just follow because, you've, because you're seeing it, right? It's the relationship has begun and just like with any relationship, the, the actions come natural out of the love of the pursuit of the thing that you are now seeking. And yeah, you can see a dead tree as like a ninth story apartment building full of birds and bees and yeah. <laughs> right. One thing, yeah. one thing that's that's very helpful for me is remembering that everything is nature, technically speaking. Like mm-hmm. everything is earth matter. Like nothing, mm-hmm. nothing, no material is not a part of the planet. Um, but that being said, like the way that it's manipulated and, and whatnot is not always the healthiest thing for the planet either. Um, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to ask you now about yoga and just yoga being used as a tool to kind of form that reconnection. Well, where I just thought of when you said that Avi was about, um, something about that I've noticed 
from working restoring this house that we're in now, which which when we bought had been abandoned for twenty years, and it's like one of the oldest houses in in Richmond. And as we've been repairing it, there are all these building materials, and you read the warning labels on the building materials, and you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm gonna I'm gonna die. <laughs> I'm <taking> years <laughs> off of my life. Working with this stuff. We are going to die. We all are. But that's the thing. (laughs) We all are going to die. And we're trying to build uh, systems and spaces that are going to last forever and last beyond us. And maybe part of our illness is that, um, that discomfort with death and lack of peace with death. And that we are constructing things that because we're so afraid of dying that um, are toxic because they're just, they don't decompose. Um, So yeah, with yoga, (laughs) getting, you know, being, letting yourself sit and ask those questions and sit with it and be okay with death, the death of the self, the death of the ego, the death of your work, <laughs> the thing, the things you work on every day that are also um, permanent and impermanent. And I don't think that um, I had connected the mindfulness practice to yoga until we went to the light program uh, at Yogaville and both did the light program. Before that, you know, it was pretty easy. And I think a lot of people already make this assumption that yoga is just like a posture and it's an exercise and it's, you know, you just do it in this room and here's the motions and now you're done with yoga. Right. (laughs) Um, uh, and it, and not so much the focus on it being a, a practice of mindfulness. Um, and that then that practice becomes how you interact with anything around you and yourself. And so, I think we we try to live our life with a lot of intention, and uh, and I think that that you know if we if we want to call that yoga or, or it, then then that's I think how it shows up most predominantly um, in my life. And I have a lot of gratitude for Yogaville and the Light Program um, showing me that aspect of yoga and sort of teaching me that aspect of it, the mindfulness arena. Yeah, same same goes for me for sure. Uh, and then kind of connecting it now with what we're talking about in terms of of death and and acceptance. You know, I would say it's like when I when I step back and I look how the world could even change, right? Like improve, hopefully. Like what it will take to do that. I really actually think fostering a healthier relationship with death is essential to that work. Because I don't think that there's anything, death and gratitude, I would say, because I don't think that there's anything more powerful than a human being who genuinely feels that they have nothing to lose, Mm. right? It's like, if there were just millions of humans, even thousands probably, who felt that way, like, what would happen? Because then I'm not afraid that I'm going to lose something or that I'm going to run out of time or, or anything like that. It totally flips over on its head and said, well, thank you so much for everything that I've already been given. If even if it ends right now, that's okay with me. And mm-hmm. I think it's really hard to do. Like I have, I struggle with that myself too, but it's it, to me, that's practicing yoga even. 
No, I think that's huge. And I mean, it's, it's because we've been so conditioned and, and outcome-based, right? And so when you first said that, you were like, well, maybe if there's a lot, of, a lot of us, what does it look like if we were able to change? And I think part of the practice that we bring to our activism or our work is, is back to the right relation thing, right? We, we do it because we know it's right and we participate because it's right. And we try not to get too caught up in like, um, people usually ask us this a lot. Well, what happens if, if this, you know, thing gets built? what happens built, if the know? pipelines built, you know, what then, what then? And, uh, and that's part of it too, right. Is this idea that we have and this connection that we have to this polarized ideas, this side versus that side or co- competitiveness, you have to win, you either win or you lose. Right. And, uh, you know, and I think it's much more it's Nelson Mandela has, right. I never lose. I only win or I learn. Um, mm. And so it's just like it, it's every moment is an opportunity for growth and to decide what is the right thing to do, regardless of its outcome, you know. Um, and growing is also dying. So like talking about gratitude and death, integrating a gratitude for the, the daily death that we go through as we grow and learn and change and that um, our disconnect with being OK with death and death not being integrated in society is that like grasping that I think we are struggling with with society to not not be able to change and not to be able to evolve even though there might be these archaic systems and archaic traditions that don't serve us any longer and we have actually like collectively evolved beyond them but there's this grasping of like but our tradition can't die or like all the the time and energy we spent upholding these ideals can't die because that is failure, but death is like so important for new life. Like we can't, we have to die. And it, and because we are all connected because we are eternal and um, finite beings that are alive, like that cel- to celebrate when things pass and what they've taught us and to integrate it and move on and not be so stubborn to be like, no, we can't change. We can't, we can't evolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I noticed that a lot, actually, this kind of trying to hold on to the past, like the glory days, um, which which I sense is a real obstacle for just kind of accepting how things are and being okay with moving into this new future. Um, because I feel like trying to hold on to the past is the most sure way to lose those elements of the past that you love. Like you're trying to grasp it, like it's gone, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you about, about music, uh, obviously. And, uh, and first I, I want to share a little bit of just an experience that, that I had that I haven't been able to share, uh, with you both yet. Um, so I don't know how many years ago this is now, maybe six or seven years ago. Uh, I had done my first, uh, yoga teacher training and up at Kripalu in Massachusetts. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, like towards the end of it, I was really kind of like in this emotional heart opening space after going through that. And I'm in their, uh, their gift shop and the song, <laughs> this song comes on and I just like, it, 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 it's beyond moving is, is the way I would describe it. Kind of, we've all had this experience with music sometimes where you just, oh my gosh, it hits you so, so hard. Um, and I fell in love with it right away. And, uh, and then I think maybe like I listened to that song a few times, the song was Hari Om. And mm. 
Um, and then fast forward, like, you know, three years later or something, I find myself in, in Yogaville in the light program. And then I think you guys came in or were performing or something like that. And like this connection happened too. And like Hadiom is like what we say at Yogaville. That's like our mantra too. And so like that was that a song, song was like, written about this, Yogaville. Yeah, we <laughs> wrote that? that song. We wrote that song during the light program. And you wrote it during the light program. And then now I've been living at Yogaville for almost four years. So <laughs> it's like, like, I don't know. I just wanted to share that because that was oh, uh, kind amazing. of an incredible thing. That um, is but thank an incredible you. thing. Cause it's so funny. Cause when we gave, Apollo those CDs for their gift shop after we played there um I was like they're never gonna play these CDs because we're just like <laughs> such the odd cats like the oddball weirdos of of that musical genre you know like you play our album and like some of the songs are real mellow but they're I feel like our music's pretty edgy too and um I mean, this, the lyrics of Hari Omar, if the gods would could cut out their eyes with the weapons held in their hands, would you still act out of love if the watch were viewed by the blind? Like, it's like so metal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, we wrote that because of Yogaville, that all the Hariyoms on everything. Jameson tells a funny story about. Oh, I mean, it was, I think, a joke that was amongst a few people. I don't even know. I don't think I originated it. I think you it. told it at the ashram. I probably <laughs> told it at the ashram. But, like, you know, it's just like Hariyom is on everything. Hariyom, please don't, you know, touch the thermostat. Hariyom, be like, you know, like, please put your shoes here, Hariyom, whatever. And, uh, I think early on the joke became like, who is this Hari Om person? And like, why are they messing with everything around the ashram? And why don't they just talk to Hari Om instead of putting <laughs> signs for them everywhere? Um, yeah. Yeah. It took, I mean, you know, it took a while to, I, I came in really naive to a lot of um, specific like yoga culture starting the light program. Um and I think I even came in a little bit as a, of a punk ass, honestly, you know, in, ter in terms of like, I was going a lot for my partner, um, Lainey. And, I made him go. <laughs> and, you know, and I just, I didn't really know a lot. And I think, you know, was probably a fool a few times. Um, but I'm really grateful uh, for the lessons that I learned there and, and what it ended up giving me. Uh, I think the outcome for Lainey and I both are a lot different than a lot of other folks that go through the light program um, because it ended up like um, sort of facilitating the space for us to go through a lot of reconciliation with the faith tradition we were raised in um, rather than become kind of more um, a, like find the practice more of like through Satchitananda's like uh, practices and teachings, right? Which are the, which are undue. Um, you know, like so kind of Hindu and Undo. <laughs> um, yeah, Hinduism. Yeah, Hinduism. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but I love. We really appreciated the integral um, aspect, the lotus, the yantra that that it can that it you know brings everything together and is so respectful that you can like fully be Christian or fully be agnostic and. Um, practice the rituals and and practice the practice the practices which are just so beneficial for your health and your your mental health and your physical health yeah yeah or you know take what you like from from each of them which i so appreciate like uh i think it's so important 
to, to move beyond, I think this like categorization or the, and labeling like, Oh, I like this thing. I don't like this thing. Like either, even if it's human beings or if it's, you know, religions, they're so complex. Like there's so many components to it. So instead Mm -hmm. of just like doing that easy thing where I'm going to put it in this category, if I like it or I don't, like if I investigate it and say, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to leave that. And the same thing with, with people, right? Like, like instead of, I like this person, I don't like this person. Like every, every human being has value. You know, what do I have to learn from, from this person that I'm going to take and the stuff that maybe I Mm -hmm. I don't like, I'm going to learn and I'm going to leave and I'm going to leave it there. So in terms of like, I think, um, you know, community activism, social action, that this can be important, right? Well, like where there's sides again, and we're maybe vilifying the, um, the, the opponent, right? But like, is it, my question is, is like, is it important to like, see their humanity? Like even I, I was actually thinking earlier today about, you know, kind of like wealthy, old white men, right? Kind of vilified, I would say, by a lot of people today. But like, they they need something too. Like they're hurting inside. Like if they're doing these actions that are not serving other other people, nature themselves, like they're hurting. Like, and if we actually have genuine compassion for them and connect with them, like maybe that will lead to the good as opposed to just slapping a label on them and saying bad. Yes, and like it's it's interesting. Um, we had this revelation from our time at Yogaville that we said we were, we attribute to Sachidananda's teachings that we heard one day, but we like really can't find it anywhere. We've been like, I even asked Morgananda, we were like, Hey, can you help us find this? Cause it's really been impactful for our lives. But he was like, I don't know where, where Sachi said that. Yeah. Like maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe it just came through osmosis, but um, we, we got this, this idea in our heads that Sachidananda said that some of the most healing work that you can do for yourself is to stay in the religion that you were raised in and to work with that deity. Um, and when we came out of Yogaville, um, we, I particularly felt really, really inspired to continue working within the religious tradition of Christianity to uh, call out how they are not um, honoring the teacher, the the word and the teacher and the revelation that I see as Christianity, which is um, compassion and love and what the Christ um, being a a revolutionary and saying God is accessible to everyone. We're all children of God. Um, It's not this like thing that is only for the Jews. but it's also available to the Gentiles. And, and um, he just had so many radical teachings and that are still radical for the time now. And, um, and I feel as though it's really important to go to the people, especially that are using it religion for their own devices to um, abuse other people and take money from other people and manipulate spiritually manipulate people and to um, support people the people who are going through deconstruction leaving the church because they don't find feel like they have a space there and and um, that was a really important thing for me to realize um, 
And in, I, in terms, I mean, to tie into that, in terms of what you were talking about with this, I do think we're going through this uh, moments of like, we vilify the things we don't like. And then we just say the things that I do like are all great. And then the things I don't like are all bad. Mm. And, um, and I think that goes back, it ties back into um, us, like, you know, the conversation before about like competitiveness and, and dominance and all these uh, mentalities that we've sort of been conditioned with that then end up showing up in the the places that we mean to do good and mean to have right intention, but they're still like, we just have these patterns that keep repeating themselves. And we've definitely been investigating a lot uh, in both the yes and like the, okay, we want to hear each person's truth and what's, what's the next, what's the next place that we can get to, to evolve and to get to this next uh, space with those thoughts or with those victories. And I think another thing that we're, um, kind of resting with more and more is that is is what is this accountability within relationship look like right because a lot of the folks that we are let's you know say vilifying um at least in like uh pop culture not really necessarily anywhere else right in terms of the example of like rich white men right they're not really being like persecuted by anyone other than like comedians and pop culture right now (laughs) they're still abundantly wealthy and so it's like what it what is this like what is my relationship with with them and with the way that they interact with the world weighed against what accountability looks like and how accountability can show up to actually facilitate the best chance for their own healing and the healing of the things that they are usually gatekeeping that cause other people to be in places of, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm recording? Um, suffering. suffering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's like, I'm, I'm leaning more and more into this, uh, this improv technique of the yes. And instead of this, like, yes and no, yes and no. It's like, a yeah. Like there's, a, the, there's from Jesus, the teacher, you know, there's, you love the person, but you also, call out their bullshit and you don't let them continue to like abuse other people or themselves, you know, like there's you, the love and that's part of love. That is love. Mm. Love isn't just being like, you're cool. Let's just be at peace. It's not necessarily like that. And the hope is that we, uh, as activists and more activists can start like identifying the difference between an individual person and the actions that, that end up coming up, right? And so that we can really target the things that are like, okay, what are the things that we know are not good for us in terms of like justice? What do we know is not good for us in terms of like, um, you know, our accountability and all of us being able to to live um, in a prosperous way. And, and we kind of more like hone in on the actions and the results and less necessarily on like an individual person or on in this individual place. And I think the more we do that, hopefully the more we raise awareness and bring identity to those sicknesses. And so that the folks that maybe are even suffering from those sicknesses of, you know, being gatekeepers and prevent, preventing people from living their, their lives freely and, and perpetuate suffering would start to see their own disconnect from their own healing and their own disconnect from the society that otherwise could be regenerative and lift them up. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky, it's a, yeah, just like the world is, it's a tricky thing to, to navigate. And I'm, I think we're still in pursuit of it 
constantly. You know, I have to check myself on that as an activist of not being like, F that person, you know, <laughs> burn down their house, you know, when I know that's not the right um, answer. Um, but the thing about like this in relation to what I was talking about with religion and going, you know, back and being in the, the realm of Christianity, engaging with Christians is that when you were raised in a tradition, you know how to navigate it because you know the book, you know, like I know the Bible, I know the stories. Mm. So when someone's like telling me something that I, I know in my heart is not, doesn't feel resonant with what God is and, and how spirit reveals itself, I can use the same book and be like, yeah, but what about this? Are you not looking at that? You know, and, and so you're able to like, get in, <laughs> get in there and like stir things up in a different way than somebody who doesn't know the tradition. Yeah. In some way that's, uh, I think we both share that that's, uh, one of the only places we, we feel appropriate in some ways doing that. Like, you know, coming from an interfaith, uh, here's our kitty cat. <laughs> um, you know, having access to the interfaith tradition at Yogaville and being able to see a lot of different collections and being able to identify God and see how it exists in a lot of different ways can like give a lot of personal reflection and a lot of like personal space for healing. But the place that I feel comfortable going in and doing the challenging work that's necessary isn't really in the places that I wasn't raised or that I don't feel like I have a legacy in. It's those, that place is more like for me, Christianity and that like um, tradition and pathway. And so I think the reason why we both felt called back to working within that tradition a little bit more was because we felt like that was where we personally um, felt appropriate doing that kind of work, that kind of flipping the table work. Or like karmic healing for the, um, the sins of your ancestors. In some ways, sure. But I mean, there, I mean, probably, you know, the next generation will have to do the same thing with us because we'll always just be, you know, learning and learning growing, and growing and learning and growing. And learning and growing. <laughs> Doesn't end. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, and but then back to right relation, right? It doesn't matter as long as the relation is right and and the intention is right. It's like the outcome of whether it ends or not doesn't really matter as much as as what matters is like is what I'm doing right now right, and am I trying to strive to do what is right in whatever capacity I have access to that uh, in in my actions? Yeah, what I, what I hear there is just like simple. Right. Like going back to the simple, like, how do I want to spend my time? Like even that question, right? Like what feels right in this moment? I don't know if it needs to be more complicated than that, at least most of the time. Mm -hmm. Unless you're just like fierce like us. And you're <laughs> 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 uh, in, the, in terms of the community activism work that you've done, like, how would you say that it's, um, served you if it has like personally like if you can look at kind of before and 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 now um how has it changed you doing some of that that work well we've learned that it is a lifelong process and that it doesn't like it's never going to be over and even if you know acp got canceled you know woohoo um is over that's over but there's still work to be done and so to avoid burnout to um 
really, well, this is my biggest lesson is I only do the things that I love mm. and within activism. Um, I know what's in my wheelhouse. I know what's easy for me. I have a lot of skills and I have a lot of things that I hate doing that I, are not easy for me that are just exhausting and take up way too much time. And so, um, and we all have different skills and there's a diversity of tactics or a large body that's, that's working for these, these causes. So I think that the, the best thing I've learned is to offer what I truly want to offer and what I get excited about doing to the movement at work and understand that like by doing that work, doing the activist work that we've done, um, I've become a better person. I've learned so much and uh, grown so much. And so um, it's, it's fulfilling on multiple levels and it's not draining because I'm doing what I love and I'm getting better at it because I'm practicing more and more and more. And um, I'm in relationship with other wonderful people who are doing things that I don't want to do, <laughs> that, but that are equally as important. Mm. And so um, just the, the wonderful community work of uh, working with common purpose to help protect the earth, um, protect each other is, is great work to, to dedicate your life to. And um, it's not exhausting if you're doing what you love. Yeah, I think the things I learned, and I can, Lainey mentioned them, but I'll just touch on them a, a little bit more just to, just to highlight them. Um, but uh, I, I think um, the, you know, the work is never over. Um, to some folks, I think, can sound fatalistic. And to me, I've really morphed that much more into, like, I am a lifelong learner, right? And, and so I think a lot of the folks that get attached to ends and outcomes, um, it's like, I want to be someone that's pursuing knowledge and pursuing growth for the rest of my life. And so when we say the work is never over, I don't anymore, or I don't, I don't feel this like, oh, you know, that feels overwhelming to me or that, or that feels like, you know, that I'm never going to be satisfied. It feels much more like that's the natural ebb and flow of this life and living in this body and having perpetual access to knowledge and improvement. And that's truly what it means to pro to progress. So, you know, if we want to call ourselves progressive or say that we believe in progress, that's, that's what it looks like is constant motion, constant learning and, and deliberate, um, thoughtful work. Um, and I think an, another aspect of activism that's really helped me is, uh, is appreciation for the diversity of tactics and really stepping into understanding what, it, how, all of our work is needed to get us to the next space, to get to the next space. And I think sometimes within activism, you'll see people choose the groups that they most resonate with, which I think is really important, but then there will sometimes be this infighting or like, well, who's doing the right work and who's doing the most work. And I think the more we can kind of zoom out and look at our collective actions and understand that it does take this group of us, it takes the, it takes the, peaceful like protesters that are doing it in in sitting ways and it also takes like bricks and it also takes you know uh legislation and it also takes chaining yourself to things and it also takes petitions it's like all of these things accumulate um to the places that we all want to get to and if the more we leaned into the things that laney said that we love to do um i think the more valuable all of us 
will be for what we're striving to see and the more respect we give to the other folks for them doing what they love to do, yeah. the more we'll. Oh, and also one other like really big thing that I've learned in this process specifically with fighting the Atlantic Coast Pipeline near the ashram uh, is that people like you have to put your body in the way sometimes because if there aren't people in the forest blocking peop other people from coming and cutting down the trees, then those people that are gonna cut down the trees are just gonna go in and do it whether or not they legally have the the permission by the government to do it or not. And I, I have, we haven't talked about this yet um, to the ashram because it's it because we haven't been back since the Land Coast Pipeline's been canceled, but now I feel like it's safe enough to talk about this. But there was, we were part of a, a camp um, outside of the ashram uh, that was not on like ashram property, but it was related to someone in the ashram owned the property. And it was property that was, that the pipeline needed to go through to get to their drill pad by the James River, um, where they wanted to drill under the James River. And we had a camp there that we camped with. There were many, many people who were camping there. Um, a lot of people who were not part of the ashram. Most people were not part of the ashram. Um, and we were holding down that space for months and months and months and months to prevent the companies from coming and cutting down those trees and just moving ahead with the project. And they, if you look at the aerial of where they had clear cut, which you can see when you're on Woodland Church Road, you can see where they clear cut. And if you were to drone up, you would see where the property line of the place that we were protecting is because people were there and they were able to be there to like see the surveyors come on the land to try to tag the trees for the tree cutters. And we were like, no, you don't have legal permission to be on this land. You have to leave. And so because people were blocking, they were in the space blocking that place, that ecosystem was protected. So there's also action required. Like you have to show up too. And if you're going to protect land that other people have in the world of ideas um, slated to be destroyed. So it's not just passive action. You have to have real dedication to like live in the woods for months. Right. Well, it, it takes me back to kind of what you were saying about loving the work that you're doing, right? Like, I don't know if it works if I, if I feel like pressure, like I have to do this thing, like may, maybe it does, but from my experience, there's a lot more energy behind, like, I actually think like moving into this uncomfortable place of like camping in this area, which is super scary. Right. Um, that's going to, that's going to be, uh, beneficial for my growth that having this experience of doing it, it's going to give me a sense of purpose. I'm going to learn something like it, it's going to, to fill me up. So I don't know, like that's, that's a shift, I think in, in perspective a little bit of, of like the, why am I doing it? Because I, I just don't know if the, the pressure to, to take action is going to really create the change that we need to, but people saying, oh my gosh, this is going to, in a sense, give me what I'm looking for in my life. Like, I don't have meaning. Like if I do this, like I'm going to feel like I'm doing some good in the world and it's going to give me meaning. Like 
to me, that has energy, like that has the potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that a constant struggle of people who are involved in activism, communicating with people who are not currently active um, is, is trying to express that without the, the um, emergency, without the, the stress. Um, but, but it is an emergency also. Mm. Um, yes, and again, yes, and. <laughs> yes, it and. shows up all the time. I, but, I think too, like within activism in terms of um, addressing burnout and pressure and things like that. Um, and I've shared it with the ashram before when we played, but the Satchinanda teaching of, you know, you are a tool, a vehicle tool and your spiritual practice is sharpening that tool for the purpose of use. And then you go back and you use it. And when you notice that it's dull again, you bring it back to sharpen it. Mm. And you never just sit and constantly sharpen a tool and never use it in the same way that you would never use a tool that is dull over and over again and expect there to be really, um, you know, deliberate work (laughs) that can be done with it. Um, And so it is, it's like a personal balance that every person has to find. But I think that, um, it, it, saying it requires action, I think aligns with that teaching and aligns with the, that idea, right? The reason why we go to these, uh, to Yogaville and the reason why we give ourselves space to cultivate a spiritual practice is for us then to improve ourselves, to then be able to go and take action, whatever that might look like in terms of diversity of tactics. Um, and sometimes that action is required to like actually show up and have your body, um, there. And so it, you know, I, I get, I get a lot of, um, nurture from that specific teaching. I love that so much, Jameson. Yeah. I think that's an incredible teaching. Um, the, the, and I guess I would add on top of that is, uh, my inquiry is like, what wouldn't be sharpening my, my tool, my instrument, like both the, okay, I'm going to kind of go into retreat, uh, and meditate and, and do Hatha practice and, and all that. Like that's an aspect of sharpening. My point too is like actually going out and and using your tool is also going to sharpen it. So it's like everything is sharpening it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you you know it. I think you can tell the difference between the work. If that it sounds I, like Lainey uh, had a thought on it. <laughs> I, I think it's all the service piece. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, I think when you're sharpening the tool, you're carrying it's self care, and you need to self care, um, and then that. Um, that full spirited service is the using the tool um, because you're not necessarily getting the energetic feedback that is focusing on yourself. Um, but, but I fully so see, like this, I, I see this, I see this, the sharpening as focusing on self and then you going and serving. But I hear Avi too saying that like part of that service to others is that service to self because it's helping yeah. Yeah, like that, that's, yeah. That's, that's my inquiry a little bit because you mentioned burnout. Right. And I, I'm very sensitive to that too. Um, so it's like, I don't want to feel like my karma yoga is burning me out. And this is, I think what Swami Sachinanda says too. And I'm just kind of, okay. The word like selfless and selfish, right. We can get into it. But I'm very kind of interested in, in that realm because it's like, and, and again, like, gosh, gratitude and wonder at nature for being set up this way. Because I think the way that nature is set up is that when the most actually selfish thing that I could do is to be selfless. 
Like, why is nature set up like that? I don't know. But by being selfless and doing karma yoga, that's actually the best thing that I could do for my myself. Like, and I think it's okay to go there. Like, I, I, I feel that. Like, I'm not always thinking that in the moment. Like, sometimes you just have the pure selflessness. You're not thinking, what am I going to get out of it? And actually, the more that you do that, the more you're going to get out of it. So I just think it's amazing that it's it works that way. It does take the um, the consciousness, though, to to recognize that the work is like is is selfless and is also at the same time helping and serving you as well, though. Because I do think a lot of people, when you see them engaging in work, right, and they don't have necessarily the consciousness of it, like being a larger organism and a larger goal of like, what is our collective uh, goals and our collective desires and our collective growth through this, then it kind of becomes like, you can see the resentment and the things like start to build up and, and build there. So it's like, it, that's like the work, the work that you've done to prepare you for when you're doing the karma yoga to then know that that is actually serving you through you serving uh, others, if that makes any sense. It's like, it took work to get to that point <laughs> to right. see it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or no, maybe it's an internal thing. Like I, I the, the most um, obvious time I've like sharpened a blade is when I'm going to use a machete to like clear some land, you know, and the process of clearing lands internally like clearing the field um maybe that's when we use our blade is when we're mm -hmm. doing that work yeah there's a, another um a teacher of ours uh, it's a woman by the name of san goma who teaches at a lot of earth skills gatherings has a workshop that that says like pretty much what is the landscape of your internal garden and what is your like the garden of your mind look like right is it full of weeds does it need to be weeded is it, is it abundant and full and does it need to be harvested? Is it growing season? Is it this or that? Is and you, drought? And you, is it, there a drought? Is there this? And, it, and it, the whole workshop just kind of revolves around you sitting with it and thinking, okay, where is the garden of my mind in terms of its cycle and what it has to offer? And I think that goes back to the, like, that process of like, when you know you're sharp and ready to give and when you are in need of nutrients. <laughs> mm. I love that. The garden, the garden of the mind. What is the garden of the mind? Um, yeah, don't have too much more time. Uh, and we're doing something awesome uh, with this episode. Uh, we're going to be playing a couple of your songs at, at the end of it. Uh, so I was, I was kind of reading your lyrics beforehand and, and listening to um, Courage and uh, Seasons, which we're going to play both um, really, really just loving and appreciating them. Um, but uh, one line that kind of stuck out to me, I want to ask you about, it's uh, sing hallelujah for the seasons grow us, change us they do. And the word celebration kind of came to me. And actually it has come to me a bunch listening to your music. Like there's this theme of like celebration being like appropriate, like um, as human beings, like it's just appropriate to celebrate. So I just, I want to ask you about that. Like, do you feel that obviously like maybe there's a time for celebration and there's a time for other stuff too, but um, just like a feeling that like to celebrate the situation that we're all in is, is very important. Well, and I think that celebrate and hallelujah um, are interchangeable in the sense that um, they are related to gratitude and a mindset. And in the song seasons, I'm speaking of different, 
seasons of the year, but also seasons of the soul. And the, the time that we go through as we, it, it was written about loving someone through many years, you know, um, being with someone through many seasons of life mm-hmm. and the way that your love changes and evolves through that, even in a relationship with yourself, you know, um, how you change and grow. And sometimes that, you know, like Leonard Cohen, like sometimes it's a cold and a broken hallelujah after you've just been destroyed by something, you know, and that, but that you're just, that you, that you can find in your spirit, in your like deepest, darkest moment, that hallelujah for like, the potential to be reborn from it, you know? So it's, it's a celebration when you're on your knees destroyed and when you're like your most abundant blossoming space in life and how um, to keep that gratitude practice at the center of your, your spiritual, my spiritual practice. It also feeds you. I feel like for the next steps forward, right. Is it's like, to stop and to sit in the moment of the hallelujah and the celebration is cathartically important. And then it rejuvenates you for that next step in the journey. It's right. Right. So it's like back to the sharpening blade and everything else. It's like, you don't want to just stay at this party constantly and pretend like there aren't more steps to be taken. But if you are skipping through the party and just like, don't even want to look at it because you're so focused on the things that are ahead. It's like, that's, you've, you've almost missed an opportunity to feel that regenerative energy of, of celebrating and, and having feeling like authentically um, proud to sing hallelujah, you know? Um, And then that's like, there's that energy for the next, the next, the yes and the and. (laughs) And also a hallelujah to the, miracle of nature and how it sustains itself and cycles through and how the leaves come back every spring and just how miraculous it is to be part of that cycle and to witness that cycle and to trust that the 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 death comes with new growth i think it ties back into like what are the things that we aren't allowing ourselves to lay down that are archaic and that are past and how can we see the seasons um especially in virginia as like an example of this thing that sheds and it lays down what's not serving. And then that becomes regenerative to the soil that absorbs those leaves, gives it the nutrients for the new things to grow. And, and, you know, if we gave ourselves permission to do that um, with the things that aren't serving us and then grow the things that we know need to be grown. uh, Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to, to, to a lot of examples um, to feed us. Yeah. Feed our soul. Sense of, of like, permission to just lean back into this process that we're a part of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And thank you for that message because I, I just think that message is, is exactly true. It's exactly right. Like we are, that's what's happening. We're going through seasons, we're going through changes and it's just like kind of, then I, I take the load off because I'm just, I'm just going through this thing that's, that's happening to me and I'm trying to navigate with as much, um, you know, artistic, uh, <laughs> ability as I can. So, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you both, both so much, Jameson and Laney. I uh, really appreciate this time. Thanks uh, for having us. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we'll, we'll close with the song. So everyone listening, please enjoy. We're going to hear seasons and courage.
Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.